folks that 2022 is going to be the year we make our big comeback i'm telling you there's a chance that if we recreate that uh that turnout republicans have their usual drop off and uh things could be closer than people expect but realistically we're looking at uh you know uh, several more years of organizing several more years of, of registering voters several more years of training candidates and county committees uh but we think come 2026 we're going to be in a position to be uh, competitive up and down the ballot all over the state Alrighty, boys and girls, welcome in Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, I am uh, Josh Moon, that is... David Person. That's right. We, oh, and listen, this is going to be a great show. All right. No about it. Looking yeah, forward no, to it. No doubt about it. The best show that we've ever done. Uh, and, and you know what? If it's not, you'll have listened to the whole thing before you. So, <laughs> um... <laughs> Marketing. I, I see what you marketing. did there. I see marketing. what you did there. That's, that's how that works. Uh, right. No, it's a, listen, we got Wade Perry, uh, the executive director of the Alabama Democratic Party, going to join us uh, shortly and uh, talk about the plan for the for the upcoming election season. You know, as much as he can, he's not going to disclose too much, but for as much as he can, he's going to talk about that and, and and reveal that there is, in fact, a plan for all you, all you nervous Democrats out there. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, to get us started... Uh, I think we, I think we have to. There's only one thing that we can talk about, and that is uh, the return uh, mm. of COVID. Mm. Uh, I mean, I you know, I I don't know what to do with people anymore, man. I I, I don't. I I just I don't. I don't know what to do. I, I mean, I don't know what else you need to tell people than we've had hundreds of millions of vaccines administered at this point in this country and around the world. Uh, these, these vaccines have been hundreds and hundreds of millions of them at this point. There have been a, a, in terms of vaccine side effects, there have been a minuscule number of vaccine side effects, right? I mean, a minuscule number. Um, I, so we have that. So we, we, we can look at it and say these things on a large scale basis are really, really, really safe. Right. I think that's yeah, fair to say. I think, I think that's fair, fair to say. Yeah. There, there are some, there are some, there have been some adverse reactions, some, mm-hmm. some blood clots with some of the things, some, uh, some other things that, that have taken place. But on the whole, when you look at the totality of all the medicines that we give out every day, all the medicines that people ingest every day, these vaccines are extremely safe. Okay. Um, in addition to that, if you take a look at the further statistics, 98% of the people in hospitals who are hospitalized today with COVID, whether it be the Delta variant or anything else, those people are unvaccinated people, mm-hmm. right? Greater yep. than 98% of them are unvaccinated people. Deaths-wise, the deaths from COVID that, are, that have been attributed to COVID, whether you believe it was COVID or not, all right? Whether you mm-hmm. believe it was COVID or they had some other ailment that, that caused them to die. Those people who have died and it has been attributed to COVID, those people are also 99%, 99% unvaccinated. Okay. Mm-hmm. What more do you need to know? I don't, I don't understand. What, what have we got to tell you? Well, 
Okay. So I say this as a vaccinated person. Okay. I understand that there are people who have suspicions about anything that comes from either big pharma or that is being pushed by the government. I understand Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, having said that, I think that people have to consider, well, first of all, let me, let me say, I think people in this country, we have to be careful because people need to be free to make yes. dumb decisions or to okay. make ill-advised decisions. Okay. And we don't, I don't think we want to create an atmosphere where people who don't follow who don't march in line with the status quo become demonized or ostracized. But having said that, there's no question that what you're saying is true. Uh, Now you say, what more can be done? Well, one thing that would help tremendously is if we weren't getting, if we weren't getting, first of all, um, poorly strategized messaging and actions from our state government. And I'm talking just about Alabama. We have a governor who has said, you know, she has lashed out at the unvaccinated. She has said, um, you know, you can't make people do certain things. And, And that may be true. But that same governor is not taking practical steps that could help to mitigate the damage. Nor has that governor, uh, in my mind, launched an an effective or efficient pro-vaccination campaign, marketing campaign. Sure. So there's that. The other thing that I think we have to consider, Josh, is that people often, I think, get confused Because the messaging, even from uh, the very respectable, heroic, courageous Dr. Fauci, is not always, um, I don't think it's always effective because people, people miss the fact that what Fauci is actually doing is Fauci follows the data, right? So when Fauci a few weeks ago was saying, was telling all of us, hey, If you've been vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask inside or outside. He was following the data. Now Fauci is saying something different because he's following the data. I don't think a lot of people comprehend that when he says something, it's not supposed to be taken as the everlasting gospel for the rest of eternity. He's speaking based on what he knows at the time because he's a scientist. Yeah, look, uh, David, I think you give people too much credit. <laughs> okay, um, uh, uh, I, I really do. Okay, uh, and because uh, uh, we uh, we disagree on, on a couple of points here. Because number right. one, I think that what people are doing is that they're not misunderstanding that Fauci is is following the data. That they're not just. Uh, you know, these poor little lambs lost in the in this complicated world of, of scientific data. What I believe that they're doing is, is they are taking some minuscule sliver of, uh, you know, where Fauci said this one day and he said this these days later. And they're using that 
as a means to justify what they want to believe. Okay, and what they want to believe is, is that they don't need to wear a mask and they don't need to go get the damn vaccine that they don't want to go get anyways. I don't care anything about it. I had a conversation with someone not four or five days ago mm-hmm. uh, here who said, I'm not getting a vaccine. And we had a calm discussion about it. Why would you not get the vaccine? Look at these numbers. Look at what's taking place. Look at what, you know, all these things. You're a healthy person. You've gotten other vaccines. You've never had any issues. You've never had any adverse medical uh, reactions to any sort of shots or medicines or anything else. Why would you not go get this thing? We're basically, we're in the same family. Uh, all of these, uh, all of our other family members have, have received this. Why would you not do this? I just don't care anything about it. That was a response. Okay. So there's not, I don't think this is, this is where, this is what's frustrating to me. Okay. Is, is that there is not a, a reasonable, um, educated response to, for the resistance here, or an explanation for the resistance. I should say there's not a reasonable, educated, uh, explanation of the resistance and and that's where you know i get lost in this because you were saying well you know we people should be free to be dumb that you can be free to be dumb up until the point where your stupid ass cost me something okay uh whether it be my health uh whether it be my daughter's health what something you know up until that point you are free to be as dumb as you want but it's the same way with with seatbelt laws you know we Mm -hmm. we changed seatbelt laws in this because we were costing each other money you know, that's right, the reason right. why seatbelt laws were in place it was because of money, not because of health, because you're only protecting your own stupid self at mm-hmm. that point. But we changed them because it was driving everybody else's insurance rates up through the roof. So mm-hmm. we, we that's was one of the driving factors in this thing. But and so I'm all for I am 100 percent behind. You can't go anywhere. Unless you have this vaccine. And if you want to leave it up to private businesses, that's fine. Although I do believe, uh, you know, some states and some other things should should have every right to say uh, you're not coming in to the DMV to do any business or into courts or anything else unless you either have a vaccine uh, card or you have a mask on. All right. Uh, Until we get this thing handled. Uh, and I am perfectly fine with not being able with these people not being able to go to ball games, not being able to go to theaters, not being able to go into restaurants, not being able to do anything at all until they can either prove this uh, or wear a mask or we put this thing behind us and we decided that we have limited it to the point where uh, we no longer need these things. Well, okay, so I I can go along with you in terms of leisure activities. Uh-huh. So if you, if if you know people want to say you can't go see your favorite hip hop group or whoever, right. or watch your favorite basketball team unless you can prove you've been vaccinated. I'm I'm okay with that. That's a leisure activity. That's not a necessity. But I don't I don't think we can be a free society and apply that to a lot of the other public activities that are. Um, you know, that, that people have to engage in grocery store shopping, for example. I do think that what we can do, though, is and should be doing, you know, I don't want to mandate vaccines, but I do want to mandate mask wearing because mask wearing, we already know scientifically mask wearing does a tremendous job, not only in stemming the spread of COVID, but heck, in stemming the spread of the flu. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I would, I, if we're going to do mandates, I think that's where we ought to mandate. You well, I, I go, put an either or. I put an either or in there. I put okay. a, you know, either, right. either you do the okay. vaccine or you're wearing a mask. Either you okay. show me this card that mm-hmm. says you've got the vaccine, you've been fully vaccinated, or put on a damn mask before you're doing anything. Right. Okay. I'm with that. I'm with that. You know, um, I don't, I don't, I think we have to just, we have to really fight. And this is challenging. It's not easy, you know, but part of what, but part of being in a free society means that there is a certain amount of risk, you know, Mm -hmm. for all of us and not just related to vaccines. You were talking about seatbelts. Okay. You know, I'm glad that, that, that it's mandated that seatbelts, you know, wearing a seatbelt is the law, but here's the reality. We still know there are people that don't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain sure. amount of risk for all of us. You know, sec- you know, I don't like being around people smoking cigarettes. You know, uh, secondhand smoke has proven scientifically to take people out. Yeah. And yet we're in a free society. So, yeah, but I mean, you, you know, know, but we've also made it illegal, essentially, for a private business to allow smoking indoors, you know, and it's because of that's that, the because balance. of that risk, you that's know, right. that's that risk. That's and so I, I don't, that's I just, I don't, yeah. I just, it's, to me, there, there is a way to balance out that, uh, the, the liberty and uh, freedoms that, you know, that we have here versus protecting the greater good of society. As long as we continue to wrestle with that. Yeah. And try to make sure that we maintain that balance. I'm good with it. I'm yeah. good with well, it. Well, I, I just it, it it just irritates me uh, to no end because I tell you this, and, and I want you mentioned something about the state, and that, mm-hmm. that was another thing I wanted to get into was um, we, <laughs> that they, it couldn't be worse. It could mm-hmm. not be worse in this state uh, the way we've handled it. And now Kay Ivy is pretending to be frustrated. I mean, mm-hmm. she probably is frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, for that matter, because right. I, I wrote a column this week and I called Kay yep. Ivy a good person. Uh, you know, I, and I believe mm-hmm. she is a good person who cares yeah. about people and uh, cares about the constituents of the state. And, uh, you know, I think she's a, a decent human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think that what took place was at a point here, she decided to play politics. Yep. Um, absolutely and, right. Absolutely um, right. She she decided uh, that the political landscape of things had shifted to the point where now we're coming up on election season. She's probably going to have a primary challenger that's going to be way to the right of her, um, and which is hard to imagine. Uh, but, you know, so she decided then that it was no longer time to do the things that she had been doing, which was Hell, it wasn't like she was over the top anyway. She was just right. basically staying quiet and saying, here's what our doctors say. That's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, had she continued to do that, she would not have put out these ridiculous statements about Alabama is open for business. And we're not going back to all this stuff over here. We're not going to do that, y'all, because it's plum ridiculous. We got to go back to doing this, you know. And it's just, you know, that kind of foghorn, leghorn folksiness nonsense that she cut, mm-hmm. you know, she's famous for i guess and um but now she's boxed herself into this corner where you know she doesn't have any options anymore you know she doesn't have she all she had to do was shut up and not say anything but instead she took this path and it's the same path so many of the legislators took because it's an easy path because what people want to hear is you don't have to wear that mask anymore. Trust me. I know. How many times have I bitched about a mask? Uh, you don't want to wear a mask. You don't have to wear this mask anymore. Uh, this is all behind us. We're never going to close down businesses. Everything's going to be sunny and bright and happy and warm. Uh, nobody's ever going to cough again. Um, and 
That's what everybody wanted to hear. And so that's what they started telling them through these bills about vaccine passport, banning vaccine passport, banning mask mandates, you know, pulling back on the reins of the of uh, these health officers for the state and for the counties, making sure they can no longer implement their own health orders. Uh, that's what that that's what that all was about, was about doing that and pretending as though these people had somehow trampled on your rights because they took appropriate actions during the midst of a pandemic to save your dumb asses. You know, yeah. I mean, that's what happened. And it just, man, I, I got to say, it is so disheartening to listen to some of these people now roll out there and act, oh, well, you got to get a vaccine. You know what? If you had treated this seriously with everybody for all these months and not tried to play politics with this thing, and don't get on Democrats either, because this was not a two-party thing. Democrats told you, go get the vaccine, yep. uh, take care of yourself, follow what doctors say. That's all Democrats ever said to you was, oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow the science on this stuff and do these things. And now to watch this take place, and, and it's, man, it drives me insane to watch them now struggle with this and try to play both sides with it. Yeah. Well, you're right. This is this is clearly a problem of the Republican Party, just like, you know, other things that we see, you know, what, what's going on with the January 6th hearings and all that. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this is this is a one sided uh, fiasco and catastrophe when it comes to these things. Um, and, you know, we as Democrats, I think, um, and, and progressives, liberals, you know, we need to really make it a point to, and I know we got the conversation with Wade coming up and, you know, maybe we'll get into this. I don't know, but we really need to, we really need to make it a point in our messaging to hammer home the fact that it's been the inept, the ineptitude of Governor Ivey and she's, a, and she is a good person. I agree mm -hmm. with you. I actually like her as a person. Mm-hmm. But as a political leader, she has failed us. And that's yes. not because she's a Republican. She's failed us because of the decisions she has made. Because other Republicans in no. other states have made different choices. Oh, so she has failed us in terms of, you know, clear, decisive leadership that's going to matter in terms of what to do in this crisis. You're exactly right. She allowed herself to get boxed into a political corner, and now she can't get out. No, uh, she can't. And, you know, and, and you're right about other Republicans. There have been other Republican governors. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, I noticed a story a couple of weeks ago about the Republican governor of Missouri calling the Biden administration and asking them, because he had noticed that this great uptick in hospitalizations happening within his state. And so he wanted Biden to send one of the federal surge teams to Missouri uh, to help them get a handle on things. And right. what a surge team is, is basically a group of people that come in and do whatever you need them to do. The state directs them, all right? The state says, here, this is, we're, we're, we're way low on vaccines down here, or, or we're not, we're, you know, we're having a hard time with messaging in this area, or we need some help, you know, doing this thing. Whatever it is that you need done, that's what the surge team is there to help you with. You identify these areas of concern, they come in and they help you work through those areas of concern. We called uh, Eddie Burkhalter, call, uh, sent an email to uh, who works with APR with us. And, and, and he sent a, an email to a K. Ivey's office and asked 
Gina Mayolo, uh, about whether or not they had requested this federal assistance from a federal search team to come into Alabama, which, by the way, is the lowest vaccinated state in the country by a wide margin. By yeah. a wide, nobody else is under 40. We're at 34 or some nonsense. So, yeah, yeah. Last figure I saw, 34. Her, yeah. her response to this was essentially, we don't know what those are. Uh, what? Yeah, that was basically her response was, we're not sure what those are, but we know that the answer is not uh, feds going around knocking on people's doors. I, I mean, that and, and that, I, that's what I'm talking about, man, is there has been just a, a dereliction of duty here. I mean, you could be court-martialed for this in the military, uh, the way they have handled this. You know what's so crazy about that statement, though? If if we were, if if, if a tornado had ripped through the state, or several mm-hmm. tornadoes had ripped through the state, they would not be rejecting FEMA's help oh, and going door-to-door no. door to help people. No, hell no, they you wouldn't know? be rejecting so, that help. They would so be it's welcoming all politics. It. In fact, yeah, they, would, they would demand it. So the reality is they should think of this as a, like, like a tornado. The only difference is it's biological. It's viral. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a, a product of climate and weather that has torn through the state, that is tearing through the state. And they should think of these federal help in this regard as they would FEMA. Yeah. You know, in the aftermath of a tornado, that's what so, they ought to do. So just so, I, you know, I don't get accused of misquoting what we okay. what was sent to us. This was the actual response. OK. All right. We are all for educating people on, co- on the COVID-19 vaccine. But from the little we know about this program, it does not seem like the answer. Governor Ivey has no plans to put in a request for government workers to knock on people's doors here in Alabama. I, that's not what they do. That's not. It was, it was a whole different program. That was a whole different. And my friend, it wasn't even a program. It was just an idea that they had about sending people door to door to to educate them in some of the worst vaccinated counties in the country. They were going to send people door to door. Which I, that was other. Why are people so freaked out about somebody ringing your doorbell? Why? Right. Why do you even have the doorbell? I don't. Right. You know I mean, uh, is right. that? Am I am I like an old person now that I'm, I remember people coming to the door and shit? I don't understand well, what the I mean, problem is. Yeah, it's just well, it's I think it's crazy. I mean, again, because we're in a crisis, and so you know, looking at doing ground level, street level work, you know, to get the word out only makes mm-hmm. sense. I, no. I don't. I'm with you. I don't know what the problem is. If somebody doesn't want to answer the door, they this is America. They have a right not to answer their door. Yeah. But there are going to be a lot of people who, if they know that somebody is coming with helpful information and somebody's coming with expertise where they can ask questions, even hard questions, yeah. I think a lot of people would would uh, would welcome that. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I, to me, it was just more the the whole door thing. I, I mean, even yeah. just with that, whatever it was for, even if it was selling encyclopedias, <laughs> how's that for being mm-hmm. old? Um, you know, uh, I just. It, why are people so freaked out now about somebody coming to the door? I just don't, I don't understand. I mean, listen, do like everybody else, hide. Mute the TV for a few minutes and hide. I mean, it's a big deal. For God's sake. I just, I, I don't, man, it just, it was so, it's so kind of disheartening though, man, to listen to them uh, just flail about on this and, and just, you know, and, and I had this, I, I had the same 
response. That's what got me and, and Gina into the little back and forth on, on Twitter over the weekend, which mm. I, I wasn't even – this is a crazy thing. I was not even directing the tweet towards Ivy. I was actually – I'd actually read a story about DeSantis in Florida and his dumb self and, and what he had done. And I had I, – I tweeted – Tip for gut for you know red state governors. You can't spend all this time uh, talking you know talking down vaccine passports and uh, t- you know all mask mandates, guaranteeing all this stuff, and then claim you're doing all you can to to promote the vaccine. Mm-hmm. You're you're undercutting that. When you're doing that, you're undercutting the seriousness of this virus, and it's leading people to not take it seriously and to be suspect of the vaccine that you have there. That's my only. That was my only point. Well, tip for journalists who want to push mass man. I let me ask you: Who do you think the last person in this state is to push a mass mandate? Who hates masks more than me? I, I don't know anybody that hates <laughs> masks more than you. I resisted until the last possible moment. I hate yeah. them so bad, but yeah. I, you know, you got to put them on to help yourself and to help others. You know, and well, just. You know what they say, Josh. They say that a hit dog will holler. So, you know, you you, you threw a rock and you hit a dog that was hit. And so they hollered. That's just how that goes. I guess. Just, I I don't know, man. The whole thing is is just, I I hate to see it going back. That that was such a miserable Mm -hmm. time for everything. Uh, You know, in in addition to that, to see now that more kids are in the hospital uh, with this one and you know, and, and they were putting the mask back in schools. That's good. Listen, we're, we're going to put masks back in schools because once a few school systems do this, all the other ones are on the line for liability. Uh, and you let a kid, you know, go into a school where masks aren't mandated and, you know, and, and, and die or just be hospitalized long term. And you're going to face a hell of a legal problem, I would say. Well, I mean, Huntsville's you know. already made the decision. You know, they just made the decision within the past week, I think, to, yep. uh, to mandate it. And uh, some parents are upset about it, but I think the reality is it was the only responsible decision to make. Yeah, you're right. They're, they're upset about it. And most of them are upset about it in a Facebook group started by uh, the daughter of the great Mo Brooks. So, <laughs> Oh, really? I didn't know about that. Okay. All right. Uh, before we slide out, uh, we have asked people to uh, rate and review this fine podcast because listen, it's one of the best. So, and we know that. So we just need you to tell us and, uh, because we like that confirmation. Uh, and, and if we do, if you do uh, review, we'll read the thing during the body of the show because, you know, we're nice. Uh, so here's a review from Raven. I really enjoy listening to the banter between these two and the guests that they bring in add great insight into the Alabama political scene. Keep up the great work, guys. Thanks, Raven. Yeah, thanks, Raven. It's, uh, and I think you got to see some of that great banner. Uh, that David and I have just now on display. Uh, <laughs> uh, and we're going to, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to bring in Wade Perry in just a minute here and uh, we're going to banner some with him as well. And then uh, David and I will take Wade out and we'll banner some more at the end of this thing. So, Sounds like a player. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's slide out and bring <laughs> Wade Perry in. We'll be back in just a minute. Alabama politics this week. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now to uh, have the uh, the man who knows what's going on 
the executive director of the Alabama Democratic Party. That's Wade Perry with us. Uh, Wade, welcome in, man. It's so, uh, you know, we should have done this long before now. Uh, it, uh, you know, when, we, when David and I talked about it uh, last week, we were like, yeah, why in the hell haven't we done that? But, uh, man, we, we appreciate you coming in, man. Appreciate y'all having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess uh, the best way to get started uh, is to just go right into the thing that we get asked most often. And I know I get asked all the time. And, and that's, uh, you know, what what's the Democrats' plan uh, for uh, the upcoming elections, the upcoming midterms, uh, some of the statewide races? Um, you know, what, what are we looking at? Do we have candidates to run in a lot of these races, you know, particularly governor and some other ones? Is there... Is there a plan working somewhere behind the scenes that, that maybe hadn't presented itself yet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now we need you to break that plan down, please. <laughs> I understand you don't. Yeah, I know y'all don't want to. Y'all don't want to put it out there. But uh, is there anything that you could tell people to kind of reassure them that things are, are being worked? Um, yeah. No, I've talked to uh, a number of folks that could and would be credible candidates. Um and that frankly encouraged them to kind of keep their powder dry uh, for the time being. We are not going to have the financial advantage. So a shorter campaign season is going to be uh, better for us. Uh, and not only on the financial side, but the longer the Republicans are beating each other up, uh, the better off we're going to be. Um, so, yeah, I think you're going to see uh, credible candidates. I think you're going to see the Democratic Party continue to improve. Uh, this is a long game for us. It's not strictly about 2022. Uh, rebuilding the party takes a long, long time. Folks look at what happened in Georgia and think, oh, man, that's fantastic. They must have worked really hard last year. Well, they did, but they'd also been working really hard for 10 years uh, to, to, to build that base and build those community uh, connections and community engagement and all the things that have to happen long term in, in terms of party building. And, and what we see here is a similar 10-year rebuild, but ours started in 2017 when Senator Jones got elected, uh, lost a little bit of little bit of time in 18 uh, with the uh, fight over the uh, the party leadership. But we're we're back on track now and 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 getting a little bit better every day. That's 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 our goal. That's our motto. Uh, and 2022 is the the next the next step in that direction. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you historically. Um, so uh, 920,000 votes or whatever it was that Doug Jones got in uh, 2020, uh, even though we lost 6040, uh, is a record turnout for Democrats and would have been enough to have beaten uh, Robert Bentley in 2010. It would have been enough to beat Riley in 2002. And it would have been enough to, to have won uh, some of the down ballots statewide, so like Ag Commissioner, uh, Public Service Commission, uh, here or there along the way. So historically, when you look at turnout, uh, Republican turnout uh, in non-presidential elections has a fall off of, say, 250 to 300,000 voters. Uh, our vote is much less volatile, and our fall off tends to be more like 50,000 votes. Um, so there's a scenario where if we're able to match that 2020 turnout and uh, Republicans have their typical quarter million vote fall off, things could get interesting in the right circumstances. Uh, so I'm not uh, uh, sitting here telling folks that 2022 is going to be the year where we make our big comeback. I'm telling you, there's a chance that if we recreate that uh, that turnout, Republicans have their usual drop off, and uh, things could be closer than people expect. But realistically, we're looking at uh, you know uh, several more years of organizing, several more years of, of registering voters, several more years of training candidates and county committees. Uh, but we think come 2026. 
we're going to be in a position to be uh, competitive up and down the ballot all over the state. Uh, and there's a possibility that could happen in 2022. Well, I sure hope um, from your lips, Wade, to God's ear. I mean, I really hope that that's the way things materialize. I know that people are concerned about what our strategy is, and I say our because I am on the Democratic uh, Party's uh, executive committee for Madison County. So I'm a Democrat, you know, and I'm actively what? involved in. <laughs> Whoa! Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm actively involved in party politics. Josh is acting like he doesn't. He's always known that. So, so, so my question, my question though is, one of the things that I've heard a lot is, people say we need to. You brought up Georgia, so people say we need to replicate what Georgia did, which you alluded to, and 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 they specifically say we wish we could get Stacey Abrams into Alabama to help us do what she accomplished there. I'm sure you've heard that, Wade. What do you say when people say that to you? Um, well, we'd love to have Stacey Abrams here in Alabama also. Um, but we, we actually <laughs> did get a lot of help from Stacey and from Fair Fight on the uh, voter protection side last year. Uh, they actually uh, uh, had a grant, a uh, quarter million dollar grant for us that we were unfortunately unable to take because it was prohibited by the pack to pack transfer. Um, but what she was able to do was do a, a fundraising uh, email or two for us that raised some money specifically for the voter protection efforts. Uh, so they have been helpful. I've got access to their staff. Uh, they send us uh, training materials. They send us uh, uh, names when we need somebody to help out with something. So that they, they have been very, very helpful, particularly on the voter protection side. Uh, and we absolutely are following that uh, that playbook in terms of our long term party building uh, or rebuilding and restructuring. Uh, there's a lot, a lot to be gained from that. You know, the one big difference between Georgia and Alabama is we don't have an Atlanta. Um, I guess Birmingham's the closest uh, closest that we've got. So there there's some some parts of it that are applicable and some of them that are not so much. Um, <clears throat> but one of the things that is applicable is the demographic trends. Uh, over time are moving our way as the electorate gets a little bit younger, uh, a little bit more diverse, even here in Alabama, um, you're going to see uh, they're getting backfilled by more moderate, not necessarily Democrats, but more socially moderate voters. And uh, it's, it's just a matter of time and, and a matter of money and hard work. And, and we're uh, uh, committed to all this. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, real quick, I, our, our our attorney general would would be very surprised to learn about that pack to pack transfer law. Uh, I have to say. <laughs> um, so, so let me. You want to comment on that before I ask you? Uh, no, other than he's, 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 he seems to be having a pretty rough week up in uh, Limestone County this week and last week with the the Blakely trial. It seems like it could not have gone much worse for them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd rather yeah. lend money to Mike Blakely than trust those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so let me follow. Let, let me follow up with this. Um, you know, I ask uh, whenever we have uh, Democratic Party reps come on, I, I bring up the Joe Reed issue because I, I still think that fundamentally, that is a a problem that has to be resolved. Uh, in our party, and, I, and when I say that, I don't. I'm not calling Joe necessarily the problem, but just the party's relationship to Joe Reed and and to the constituency that Joe represents. You know, like it or not, 
it's a reality. Uh, what can you tell us about any progress that's been made in trying to reconcile with Joe Reed or at least to move forward? Well, it'd be nice if he stopped suing us. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, but okay. no, I mean, look. Point taken. I, 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 I agree with you. Point taken. Point taken. I, uh, I worked very well with Dr. Reed for a lot of years, both with the uh, uh, Democratic Party back in the late 90s and early 2000s, and then damn near for a decade at the, at the teachers' union. Uh, and uh, the truth of the matter is, I don't think there's, uh, you know, I think we probably agree on 99% of the issues out there. And I, I frankly agree with you. I think it's counterproductive. Uh, for us not to work together. Um, that said, um, you know, as you know, in 2017, he was not particularly engaged in the uh, turnout efforts for Senator Jones. And uh, we broke the record for African-American participation uh, without Dr. Reed's help in 2017, and then set another Democratic turnout record in 2020 uh, with uh, Dr. Reed essentially sitting on the sidelines. You know, the long and short of it is, is that sitting there waving yellow ballots at people uh, is not a, not an effective tactic anymore. Uh, and it takes more than uh, uh, election day or the month before election day uh, to really engage communities uh, and activate communities. And that's what we're trying to do with the party now is, is year-round organizing, community outreach, developing real relationships, instead of just throwing money at the problem a month out and then waving a yellow ballot at somebody on election day. Hmm. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is if we can work with Joe Reed, fine. But if not, we already think things are trending away from Joe Reed. That's what I hear you saying. I don't know. They're trending away from Joe Reed, but, but we're, we're, we're building and getting stronger and a little bit better every day and, and have had real success in, uh, in, in turnout in, in modern elections. Uh, and, and that's, that's what we're going to have moving forward is modern elections. And, uh, um, um, real community engagement and issue organizing and, and, and all the things that you have to do to build a party. And I would also, the other thing, no, I, let me, no. I, I want to make one other point, which I think is important here. We are still working with a lot of ADC members. Okay. Uh, rank and file ADC members are, are part of our organization and we're engaging with them uh, every day, every week, every month, and they're going to continue to do so. So there, there are plenty of ADC members uh, that are working with us, and we're grateful for that. And we're going to continue working with anybody who wants to work with us, period. When you talk about doing the work there, how, how at the ground level, how frustrating is it to watch a party flail about and be as incompetent as possible? I'm talking about the Republicans here. In, in every sense of, of governance, they have been... Uh, you know, about as inept as you can possibly be. Uh, it, it, it look at how they've handled the pandemic. And then in addition to that, you have uh, you have somebody going to jail from the leadership of the party every other month. So is it, do you feel like y'all are making progress in getting voters, the everyday working voter, to come around and recognize that that is not a party that represents them? Um, it's a, it's a tough road to hoe, Josh, but yeah, I think we are making some progress in, 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 in that way. And you've pointed out some of the appropriate contrasts that are be, to be made there, uh, that, uh, um, that, that party is, uh, now one of ineptitude and, and corruption. They haven't done anything, uh, to help people with COVID, you know, they voted against the, uh, the, the relief funding, 
Uh, they, they voted against basically everything that would help average uh, citizens in Alabama, black, white, north, south, rural, urban. Um, and uh, it, it's most certainly our job to make those uh, point those contrast out and, and to uh, to offer uh, better alternatives. Uh, it's not again, not going to happen overnight, but we're going to we're going to keep uh, we're going to keep calling bullshit where we see it. Uh, we're going to keep reaching out to the community and, and, and keep talking about issues that matter to real people here in Alabama. Look, I don't care if you're in Winston County or in Wilcox County, that hospital shuts down because we didn't expand Medicaid. And all of a sudden, you're two hours from maternal care. You're two hours from, you know, heart care. Uh, it, it, it costs lives. Their decisions cost lives, plain and simple. Uh, and again, it, it doesn't matter whether you're black, white, or, or, or anything else. If, if you live two hours from a hospital, your life's in danger if you have an emergency. Uh, and that's that's directly, that's on the Republicans. That's on Kay Ivey. Kay Ivey the other day said, I, I've done all I can do. Well, no, you haven't. You haven't done all you can do. There are lots, lots of things you could try. Lots of other states are trying different incentives for the vaccine. Lots of other states have expanded Medicaid. There, there's a lot we could do, uh, and it's it's a shame that folks, uh, uh, whether through corruption or stubbornness or stupidity, uh, don't take advantage of the options that are out there uh, to help Alabamians have better lives, and and that's what Democrats are focused on. When one of the things I know that we've talked about the differences between Alabama and Georgia, uh, but but what I wonder often is is what what messaging or what broke through in Georgia for people. You know, what What was the thing? Because Georgia was a lot like Alabama for years in this, uh, you know, they had a, they were, they were controlled by Republicans as well and, uh, you know, and, and still are to a large degree uh, and a party that does not represent the working class people of the state. So what what message there is, it has broken through for them and is it anything that we can imitate? Again, I'm not so, so sure it's, it's a particular message or strategy so much as it was a decade of hard work uh, in, in reaching out to uh, to voters and, and meeting them where they are. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, again, they had some, the, the demographic trends that we're, we're looking forward to here have already happened there. Uh, so I think uh, uh, we keep working hard. Uh, we keep getting better every day uh, and, and stay the course and good things are gonna happen here. Republicans are gonna continue hurting themselves and helping us. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that there is a particular issue. Maybe somebody in Georgia can give you a better answer than that. But what I saw was a group of dedicated folks that worked very, very hard for a long time to get better and it paid off. Mm. Hey, let me, uh, Josh, let me ask Wade, uh, one other quick question here. Um, I know that we, um, that you talked earlier, Wade, about, uh, you know, the, your anticipation that we were going to have some real valid candidates coming up. And and that's another thing that I hear people expressing concern about. So do you, do you anticipate that we're going to have uh, somebody uh, strong, valid, running against uh, Kay Ivey for governor? I do. Uh, you're not prepared to say anything yet. I understand you've already made that clear. But uh, can you give us, at the very least, can you give us a general profile, not of that candidate per se, but let's let's broaden it out even a little more. 
of the uh, what's the general profile of a successful statewide candidate? Well, I think one word you use that's very important is credible. Uh, and to, to have a, a basis of knowledge about the issues that uh, impact working people in Alabama. Uh, I think uh, it would be ideal uh, if we were to have somebody at the top of the ticket that could kind of lead a slate that ran on uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, for example. Um, again, that's an issue that crosses party lines. People don't necessarily realize it. Um, but the, 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 there are a lot of poor Republicans out there that would benefit if we expanded Medicaid in all corners of the state uh, and generations of folks at that. It's the one single easiest thing we could do to make the biggest difference for the people of Alabama. The Republicans have made clear they're not interested in that. We've made clear we are. Uh, and I think if we do make gains in 2022, it will be on that issue among uh, among a few others. But I think really the the there there are two easy things we could do in Alabama that make the biggest difference to the economy, to the health of folks. Uh, and one of them is Medicaid expansion, and I think the other one uh, is uh, legalizing recreational marijuana, which the party's been strong on, strong for. I'll tell you something we're good at here in Alabama, and that's growing stuff. Uh, the, the other thing we're good at in Alabama is throwing people in jail for stuff they don't need to be in jail for. Look, it, it costs $33,000 a year to keep somebody in prison. Uh, we could send people to college for what we're incarcerating them for, for nonviolent drug offenses. That has to stop. It's just a common sense solution. Um, so I think you're, what, 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 what I want to see is, is a progressive, smart, credible candidate that can lead on those issues and can lead a ticket on those issues. Yeah, I, I agree with all with all of that. And and I hope that and I understand where we are. Listen, we're, we're building for the future uh, on this. So to, for the most part, at, at the top of the ticket, I would say we're building for the future. Uh, there are some there are some down ballot things where I think some progress could be made, uh, some significant progress uh, that, that would help things out in the future. Uh, you know, and, and I've heard and, and talked to some folks about uh, an overall kind of broad plan. Uh, I mean, nobody shares any details with me because they know I have a Twitter uh, habit that I can't break. Uh, so, you know, it's, you know, that's how it r- works. But, uh, I, you know, I feel like it's there. there is a growing frustration with a lot of working people here uh, that they're not ready to jump ship from the Republican Party because they're too caught up in this whole team concept here and all their friends are, are pulling for this team. And so they're, they've also got the jerseys and all the, mem- you know, all the whatever uh, with them. Uh, but I, you know, I feel like there are a lot of people who are taking a hard look around and either they're going too far to the right or they're, they're ready to be poached uh, here. And I, you know, I, I just feel like if we hit a few things the right way, Going forward here, I, I feel like this could be a pretty big swing election, whether or not it shows up in the results of the election. But I think in the future, we could put some names on the ballot that could really make some noise in, in, in future. And I, I wonder if that's kind of the goal. Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. Uh, it, 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 that's absolutely the goal. Again, you're going to hear me say this, and I've been saying it since 2017. And that's just keep getting a little bit better every day. Keep building. Keep working hard, putting in the time, putting in the hours. Uh, it's, it's the only way to make uh, make improvement, whether uh, uh, you're talking about a football team, a baseball team, or a, a political party. Uh, all part of the process, right? That's right. That's right. You got to get them in the process, and 
uh, you know, get, get them out there and churn them out and get those seven figure contracts for guys who've never played a snap yet. I mean, I'll, uh, I'll, tell, you, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you all this. The, I mentioned the, the recreational marijuana thing. The polling on that is unbelievable. You know, that, that, is, that is the one issue that's available to us that immediately moves some of those Republicans and some of those independents uh, over to our side. It's a common sense issue. It's common. There is no rule that says Alabama has to be last on every issue. Uh, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just telling you, I think uh, I, I think that's coming. It's a real opportunity for us as a party and us as a state uh, to make a difference in criminal justice reform, to make a difference in the economy. Uh, very pleased they passed the, the um, medical marijuana in the legislative session last year. That's going to make a big difference for folks. You know, we've got one of the worst opioid uh, uh, addiction rates in the country, if not in the entire country. Uh, and it's, uh, it's something that's got to be addressed. And that's, that's one way to do it. Say, wait, I'm a, wait, I'm a church going Christian, but I am very liberal. And so I'm pro legalization, not just for medical marijuana, but for recreational use. And, and I say that as a person who's never even used it. But I but I sense and, and, and this is really what I'm interested in hearing from you, because I think that's an interesting that's an interesting point you've just made. I sense that most of my fellow church going Christians are not where I am on this issue. So I wonder if it if it is, is a disadvantage for us to push this despite the polling. I mean, would we would we in fact alienate or maybe even worse galvanize the other side if we if we really if we really run forward fast and furious with legalization well that that a is not what the polling shows uh i i i acknowledge that there is a generational uh uh divide there um but uh if it were to activate enough younger voters uh, which is who we're not getting right now. And that's true of the Republicans and, and of us. I mean, if you're 18 to, to 29, 35 years old, uh, they just ain't voting. Uh, and that's that's an issue that that can activate them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there, there's a good bit of organizing and education to be done in, in a number of communities, church going or otherwise. Um, but I'll tell you this, when uh, during the medical marijuana argument in the, legisla- in the legislature, when we did our rollout on the recreational, I was worried about the Laura Halls. I was worried about the Berry Forts uh, and folks like that. And we didn't get any pushback at all uh, from the older African-American legislators, which was something that we were concerned about. We had bounced it off some of them beforehand. Uh, but uh, um, I, I, I do not share the concern to the level that you do, although I acknowledge that it's a valid and fair concern. All right. Well, I hope you're right, because I, I think hey, it's look, if you're, if, it you're, if, if you're a 65 year old African-American and you've seen generations of kids go to jail because because of this drug, uh, to me, that points to we ought to legalize or decriminalize. Yeah. But I understand yeah. what, what you're saying very much so. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right, because, I mean, it, it needs to happen. You're exactly right. It needs to happen. Again, thirty three thousand dollars a year to imprison somebody for a nonviolent marijuana offense it's insane right. absolutely oh it is isn't. it's a it's a thing that solves a lot of the issues and i'll tell you uh, you know you talk to farmers and there's a lot of farmers out there that uh, that are really behind the 
behind that as well. Uh, they they like the prospect of it. I, you know, Alpha was uh, w- was early on a, a fairly key player in uh, in some of that medical marijuana stuff. So uh, you know, it's a uh, it, it's a popular thing, and I hope that it uh, that it takes hold. You know, just for you know personally. Uh, but listen, it's um, <laughs> uh, uh, hey man, I, Wade, we we've kept you for twenty five, and that's about how long we said we were going to, and uh, so we we do appreciate you coming on and, and sharing what you can, and and I know uh, you know like we talked about, I, I know you can't you can't reveal a whole lot, you don't want to let all the cats out of the bag here and uh, uh, and tell people what the plan is, but I hope that it'll help some folks relax a little bit. You know, Democrats get antsy more than anything any group of people I've ever seen in my life, man. But uh, uh, maybe, maybe this will placate them for a little while. Maybe. But, hey, here's what I can tell you. Number one, thanks for having me. And number two, uh, I promise you we're working hard every day. We're getting better. We're raising money. We're recruiting candidates. We're train, training local folks uh, on how to run modern campaigns. We are on the upswing. This party's back. We ain't going anywhere. Uh, and we're just getting better every, every day. And, and uh, again, it's not going to be an overnight thing. Uh, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't broken overnight, not, not going to be fixed overnight. Uh, but we're, uh, we're building for the long run and, and, uh, not going anywhere. Awesome. All right. Awesome. Thank you. That's a, that's great, great, great to hear. And, uh, thanks Wade, man. We appreciate it. That's Wade yeah, Perry, man. the executive director of the Alabama democratic party. And, uh, they're getting it done. Um, and, and it, I don't think there's any argument at this point that we are in, in a much better shape than we were <laughs> this time. Uh, three, three or four years ago, um, and so you know it's uh, it's a process, and like you said, it didn't get broke overnight, and it's not going to be fixed overnight. And uh, so I think that uh, you keep raising money, you keep gaining ground, uh, working from the bottom up, and, and things will will happen. And we've seen it every single time, every time there's been a turnaround. That's how it's always worked. So, all right, let's uh, let's slide out. We'll come back, wrap this thing up here in just a minute. It's Alabama politics this week. Back in a minute. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or well, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, also, one of the other highlights of this fine podcast is that we interact regularly with our great listeners. And, um, yep. you know, we, so we've, we've asked them to, uh, to send in questions. And, uh, and each week we'll answer one of those questions that they send in. And, uh, and, and listen, we've got here's – here's the great thing about that is we've got smart people that listen to this and that know what's going on. And they ask really good questions about it. We got, we got a ton of questions after the first week of this. And we'd like some more. Uh, so send some more in uh, because we would like to keep them a little more current. We're not, we may not get to all of them uh, immediately, but we're and we'll try to some of the older ones. If we have an opportunity, we'll go back and grab and try to bring them and make them more current if we can. But uh, I believe we have a question. Do we not? We do. Uh, this question comes from our friend Stephen Stetson. 
And uh, his question uh, starts off with a statement. It seems beyond a doubt that Katie Britt is a better choice for U.S. Senate than Mo Brooks. But are the Alabama Democrats locked into a, quote, lesser of two evils, unquote, kind of dynamic to replace Shelby? It's dispiriting enough that major statewide positions like Public Service Commission don't have credible two-party elections. But if the Dems are going to put someone forward for U.S. Senate, when will we see that? And who do you think are likely favorite? Mm. Uh, you want to start? Uh, well, um, I will I will say right, for I guess this is kind of a two parter here or maybe mm-hmm. even a three parter. Um, but um, I think that the, for, to answer the first question, are, are we locked into it? No, we're not locked in. Uh, you know, I believe uh, that a Democrat will have a chance. And I think that there there will be a viable Democrat. As you heard Wade say earlier, you know, there will be a viable Democratic candidate on the ticket. Um, and I believe that that person would have a much better chance, mind you, uh, if certain things happen. Number one, Mo Brooks uh, is the nominee for the Republican Party. And if it is a bitter, long-fought fight uh, for that nomination on the Republican side between Katie Britt and Mo Brooks. Um, if, if that is the case, I think maybe there is enough bad blood there uh, you know, put in place among people who really matter in the Republican Party for there to be a shift of the more moderate, if there is such a thing, Republican uh, over and either they stay home and don't vote or they come and vote for the Democrat, uh, whoever that may be. Uh, so that that would be my answer for the for the for the first question. OK, so, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you, what do you think that? Well, I agree with you. I think that um, I think that we Democrats are, as Wade said, I think Democrats are going to have a viable uh, statewide candidate who I believe will have a much better shot against uh, Mo Brooks, uh, primarily because I think Mo is so extreme and polarizing that that um, that he's going to give a lot of uh, Republicans in Alabama pause. And I think at the same time, simultaneously, he will, uh, he will help, uh, Democrats to galvanize not only inside the state of Alabama, but outside of the state. And that that's going to generate a tremendous amount of support. I I suspect not too, too, not too unlike what happened with uh, Jamie, um, who ran against uh, Lindsey Graham. And uh, why I'm oh, drawing... Jamie Harrison. Harrison, yeah. I don't know why I was drawing a blank on his last name. Uh, but I think he, you know, even though he didn't win, um, he put up one hell of a fight and uh, raised a whole truckload of money. And I expect that that's what's going to happen in this case if, if Mo is the candidate. Uh, and um, but I think I think the Democratic candidate, if the if it's the right person uh, with strong messaging and with a really good street level game, I think it's still possible that that even against Katie Britt, that uh, the Dems can pull it out. So that would be my answer. All right. Now, let me ask you this um, uh, to answer, I guess, to go into the second uh, part of this um, here, who who would you like to see? I mean, who would you, who do you think is a is a good candidate? Uh, and if you don't necessarily have a name, you know, give me the you know the characteristics of this candidate. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I you know I am biased 
mm-hmm. in this because I've been working, uh, you know, uh, as a consultant uh, for the past few campaign cycles. I've been consulting with Will Boyd, okay. uh, Doctor Reverend Doctor Will Boyd, and I really believe that Will is uh, fits the prototype for the kind of Alabama Democrat that can win statewide, having seen him on the road interacting with uh, with uh, not just hardcore Democrats, but even less, you know, maybe even some people on the other side at times. So mm-hmm. I, I think somebody who is who is religious, moderate and who uh, but who also speaks the language of the base. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the per- I think that's a, a a person who can do it. I think um, you know uh, I think being an African American uh, also at this particular time in history is an asset. Though I'm not saying the person has to be African American, but I mm-hmm. think that that that's actually an asset. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think Will could do it. Uh, somebody else that I think could do it, but I but I've uh, been told is not going to jump into any statewide, well, any races, is uh, Kim Cottle Lewis. Uh, she um, was the uh, the chairman of the Madison County Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. She's a hugely successful entrepreneur. Uh, she and her husband, Larry, uh, and uh, they have made their, their money in the defense industry uh, as contractors, so they've got those, you know, that accrues to their benefit. Um, I think she's she's a great communicator. She's uh, she's religious, black female, moderate in in her politics, as I understand it. I mean, I think she could do it, but she's not gonna she's not gonna run uh, unless she changes her mind at the you know uh, unexpectedly. Um, so I think people that fit that profile, those are those are the folks that come to mind for me. Well, all right. So I, I think we we agree somewhat and uh, and disagree on on a couple of things. Okay. Um, uh, one is I I think that we have got to stop uh, running from democratic liberal philosophers. Okay. I, I, I I think that what we have got to stop looking for is a person who is moderate. All right. Uh, Cause I don't think that makes uh, a bit of difference in the world. Um, and you look at what just won over in Georgia. Uh, that is not moderate to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is, uh, and, and when I say no, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, AOC or Bernie Sanders. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, right. I'm saying somebody who is a Democrat, who has been a Democrat, who is, uh, who has the, uh, the backing of people who, who can, uh, get out there in front and, and talk about things, who is not afraid of a challenge of, of things, who is not afraid to defend the Democratic Party, uh, who is not afraid to defend, uh, the Democratic Party's ideals. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the two names that I would like to see. Okay. Uh, come if if they're not for this, then for something is Randall Woodfin mm-hmm. and Stephen Reed. Well, um, I mean, two strong. Yeah, I'm with two strong candidates. Yeah. I, but I mean, um, hmm, I both guess, of them could run. Uh, yeah. uh, Randall could run and and maintain his office as mayor, just as mm-hmm. uh, 
just the same as uh, Walt Maddox did, uh, mm-hmm. either, whether it be for governor or for or for the U.S. Senate, and I, I uh, and I believe that uh, Stephen could do the same. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's what uh, to me. That's who. Those are the kind of people that should be there. They're, they're you know, they're both. They they have led cities, big cities in this state, mm-hmm. and they are uh, people that. Yeah, you know, you know Stephen especially. I think you know, and I've, I've you know I've been critical of a couple of things that Stephen has done as well. Uh, but um, you know, he's not afraid of a challenge. Uh, yeah. You know, and if people if people challenge him, he hits back. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that the party needs at this point. You know, I think that there needs to be. Uh, I'm not necessarily just saying Stephen, it, whether it be somebody along that lines. And and I do think that it would uh, it would do well for this person to be an African American. Uh, you know, I listen. We we've tried the white guy, okay. <laughs> uh, we we we've we've tried the white guy. Um, uh, you know, and it just doesn't. It has not worked out. And I think that we need somebody that can uh, inspire uh, black voters, young black voters, and uh-huh. young people. Uh, and I think that's kind of the ticket, you know. And listen, I, I've got a lot of I got a lot of doubt in young people. All right. I don't think they show up to the polls in any number that you can count on. And they always let you know, you know, you always hear these, all oh, the young people are going to come and save. Them. And they never do. They never show up. Uh-huh. All right. And uh, yeah, it's the same thing. Bernie was always going to win because he inspired the young people. And then the young people played video games or whatever in the hell and just forgot to go vote. Um, and, you know, it just that's to me. Is if we can find somebody that actually gets young people to the polls, then I think you've got a winner uh, so, on your hands. So let me ask you about Stephen. I I, I I get your your connection. I I understand you connecting Woodfin to progressive politics. The only thing that I've seen with Stephen though that makes me think he's got progressive leanings uh, is. Uh, what he's pushing in Montgomery in terms of LGBTQ rights. Mm-hmm. So I think that, but I don't know if that issue alone makes him a progressive or I've seen him. I always sort of thought of him more as a moderate, but is well, that what you're I, basing that on? Or, no, or something I, listen, else? I, I, you know, I know that I, well, I know some of the more inner workings of, of Montgomery. And so, okay. so the, the differences between Montgomery and Birmingham have left Stephen a little bit more limited in what he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I understand that as well. Um, and so I can't, I can't knock him for what he can't do, you know, mm-hmm. uh, realistically. And, uh, but I know the things that he has done and, you know, and some of the stuff with the school, some of the stuff with, uh, with the police department, uh, some of the things that he, uh, that they, they're working with, you know, with just within the city that you mentioned the LGBTQ, uh, stuff, uh, the way they handled the pandemic, the way that they have moved forward with him. I think is they've been they've been pretty progressive uh, there. You know, I know uh, Woodfin has you know Jefferson County is uh, and in um, the city of Birmingham they they have a lot more options in in the way things are handled uh, mm-hmm. there uh, and and they they just didn't have it the same thing in in Montgomery and I think part of that is the fact that uh, Birmingham has a much more progressive city council uh, than what Montgomery does and so uh, Stephen's having to work with a city council that is still uh, that old school, uh, old Montgomery uh, kind of folks there, and he's got to do a lot more of a balancing act than uh, than Woodfin does to get his initiatives passed. Uh, you know, and uh, so I think that has hampered him some. But I think that if you put uh, if you put Stephen uh, in front of a microphone, 
Uh, and if you could get anybody to, could you imagine a Mo Brooks and Stephen Reed debate? I mean, well, I would imagine Stephen would tear him to shreds. I mean, I mean that would be yeah. some fun things to watch right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. and I think it would provide a stark contrast for people um, in in terms of of how the state could be run and what they would do. And listen, I. I think that no, whatever Democrat is up there is going to be it's uphill all the way. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Doug Jones, the most moderate guy we could possibly ever run, got beat by 20 points by Tommy Tuberville, who don't know what the three branches of government are. OK, <laughs> so you know what I mean? Yeah. We're up against a damn well, hill here that yeah. we're, you know, we're going to barely climb. And so yeah. it, there, there is a it, there's just going to be you got to get the right. You know the right kind of things, the right dynamics playing there. Well, well, well before we transition, let me just huh? be real clear. Okay, I like Stephen Reed a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, I don't yeah. know, I don't know Woodfin. Uh, I don't, I haven't really been around Woodfin or or, any, or interacted with him, but he seems like a really sharp guy. So, mm-hmm. you know. Well, we've interacted it, with him here, right? So, well, we, we, well, that, yeah, that was one time a while back and I don't, you know, I don't remember. No, no, I know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't question what you're saying. I was just saying, but we, you know, we had him on, we've had Steven on. Matter of fact, we need to get them both back on. Yeah, I Uh, agree. I agree. Uh, we do. I, they're both both conversations were were great. We came away with both of them really impressed with the way both men were running their cities. And and, uh, I like them a lot. Yeah. So I want to be clear that if, that if it ends up being, you know, instead of my guy or my girl, it ends up being, one of those two, I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. I think they're sharp. But yeah, uh, but I know. Uh, well, this is this is going to be interesting. I mean, I yeah, think I think what we see, at least in my mind, you know, if 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 they're thinking, and I don't know if they're thinking about it or not, but if they're thinking about perhaps pursuing statewide office, then I think that does give us a a depth of field that we haven't had. In probably a while, and I like that idea. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I, you know, I just think that uh, I, I'll tell you this too. The other, the other thing that's really appealing to me is uh, is is Stephen running for the running for something, uh, mm-hmm. and the, and the Democratic Party kind of getting behind him to run for this, and and maybe it mending some of these some of the bridges uh, that are currently on yeah. ablaze. That's a great um, point. That's a great um, point. And I would like to see that more than anything. That's um, a great you know, point. I, I like everybody on all sides of this. I don't dislike anybody. I, mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can think the party was not in the greatest shape of uh, ever uh, when the, the takeover happened and still like and appreciate Joe Reed and Stephen Reed and, and a lot of the other people. And so yeah. uh, that were involved in that. And, uh, but, and Nancy Worley, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot, you know, I, I hate it when people take real shots at Nancy Worley because I think Nancy Worley is a really, really nice, kind person. She is. Uh, and she that is. we agree on 99% of things. And I understand mm-hmm. people got irritated and there were shots back and forth and Nancy took shots at people and they took shots at her. Um, I, I get that. I get all that, all the hard feelings on things. And, but a lot of people have let it become personal when they really don't have a personal stake in this. Uh, and, and you're dogging people that would be on your side in a, in a bigger fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I wish that would, uh, you know, that would, that would change a little bit. But uh, the one thing that we definitely need to do is beat this moron from Huntsville. Uh, and that's Mo Brooks, whoever beats him, whether it be, you know, uh, I would love for a Democrat to beat him. But, uh, you know, at this point, I'd take Katie Britt beating him. Um, and, yeah. uh, but at least this week, the DOJ beat him. 
um, because he had requested Mo, who was being sued by Representative Eric Swalwell for his uh, participation uh, in an attempt to overthrow the government and stop the counting of electoral college votes. Uh, he went to uh, a Trump rally prior to the, the counting of those votes and told people that it was time to start kicking ass and uh, sacrifice their lives the way our forefathers did. And those people subsequently went out and just you know, ransacked our Capitol building. Uh, and so Eric Swalwell sued him, Rudolph Giuliani, Trump, and Trump Jr. Uh, for their roles in, you know, inciting a riot, which is a federal crime under the terrorist statutes. That's and so right. um, he, uh, he claimed emotional distress uh, over this, and uh, this is going on. And one of Mo Brooks's defenses, uh, uh, defense positions in this case is that he can't be sued uh, because he is protected from prosecution because his duties, uh, he was merely completing his duties as a uh, congressman for the United States by giving a speech before a crowd of Crazy. his constituents. Uh, to which the DOJ this week replied, yeah, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> and your, your job is not to, you know, to overthrow the government. Basically, they, they said that uh, that was a campaign rally. Uh, that he gave a speech at, and so you can't then fall back on that being part of your official duties in office if it's a campaign rally, and um, you know which everybody went. Well, of course it was, and um, you know so now he's got to rely on some of this other nonsense to get himself out from underneath this lawsuit. And I, I don't think that he's ever going to really be held accountable uh, for this in this particular lawsuit. But I do hope it goes on long enough to where they can start discovery the discovery process and that we can get some of Mo's cell phone records uh, from that day yes. because I would really love to see those. Yes. we He needs to be exposed for the traitor that he is. He has, he has postured, he has taken the position and the posture that he's a patriot. Mm -hmm. But what he did as an insurrectionist makes him a traitor. Yep. Makes him a traitor, yeah. and along with all of the other traitors who raided the Capitol and 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 the traitor in chief, you know, yeah. who was fomenting all of this. You know, Donald Trump. They're all traitors. They're all yes. They all were acting against democracy because yep. the battles are supposed to be fought at the ballot box, not you know through force. And mm -hmm. through disruption of a lawful electoral process, they yep. are traitors. Oh, no doubt about it. And if you watched those uh, once the, the, the January 6th hearings that, have, that started this week, uh, that are being led by the Democrats uh, because, you know, Republicans uh, tried to bail out on them completely. Although Liz Cheney and I believe one other is uh, one other uh, Republican uh, is on the committee uh, in, in reviewing these, uh, you know, these hearings. And, um, if you watch those, then you saw that this was not just uh, an ordinary tourist visit. This was not just an overhyped, overplayed thing by Democrats. This was not uh, some ploy, political ploy by Democrats. This is uh, this was an attempt by a group of people to stop the counting of valid votes and to instill uh, or to, to install a guy as president there who did not win a free and fair election. That's what took place. Now, you can call that whatever the hell you want to call it, but there are definitions, and insurrection fits, and some other things fit. Uh, an attempt to overthrow the U.S. government fits, okay? That's what this was. Uh, we, we, if we had uh, been watching this footage on TV from a country in Central America or somewhere, then that's what we would call it, was an exactly. attempt to overthrow the government uh, by the, uh, the person that did not win the election, all right? Exactly. And so... That's what took place. And when you listen 
to what those officers said about this. Yeah. Uh, it was not just uh, an attempt by people who thought Trump you know, should have won. It was also an attempt by white supremacists yeah. uh, to, to install their guy as president. Um, and, and it was, I mean, you listen to some of those videos mm-hmm. and I've posted some of them on, on Facebook and Twitter and stuff with some of those uh, body camera videos and other videos. And you hear the words that were said to those guys. Uh, I mean, it is, it is disgusting. It really is. When you hear the testimony of the officers, the black and brown officers, mm-hmm. you realize that. There's a hollowness in the Republican Party mm-hmm. because there's no Republican, national Republican that I can think of. Um, and I'm, I don't know. And, and I'm, you know, I'm saying that now maybe I don't know if Liz Cheney has said anything. I don't know if uh, the other Republican who's on the committee uh, has said anything. But I can't think of one national Republican who has outside of these hearings, let me say that, who has denounced the the racism that was on display that day. The, the naked, overt racism that was on display that day. Uh, we have Republicans now in this state, and they've been silent as well, who are trying to say that this, 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 this city council, or this mayor, or whoever he was in Tarrant, was yeah. that a city council guy, right? City council member. Yes. Right. That he needs to resign because uh, he called a black woman a house nigger. You know, they're saying he needs to resign. You know, Will Ainsworth, your boy, comes out and says. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I had to, I just had to tease <laughs> you. I, I know. I, I, I just, you know, I was. I, sometimes Hurtful, I, David. Hurtful. <laughs> Sometimes I just go for the joke. I'm sorry. No, right, listen, that's fine. I, I appreciate <laughs> you going for the joke. <laughs> but Will Ainsworth makes this big to-do of saying that that guy needs to resign. Will Ainsworth hadn't said, Jack, you know what, about the the racist, the overt racism that was on display in, uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. And I'm sure that he's very much in support of the insurrectionists. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so I just think there's a hollowness that rings here and it's very selective. And and on top of that, we're talking about not just bigotry, that overt, vulgar bigotry that was directed at black and brown people. But we're talking about police officers. Yeah. Right. Back in the blue baby. officers. Back to blue. You know, yeah. What happened to Blue Lives Matter? Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter when they're brown or when the when the faces in the blue uniforms are brown or black. Is that no. what we're saying? Well, apparently, it doesn't matter it, uh, about backing the blue. It wants the blue stand between you and whatever stupid uh, political ideology that you have. Right. Um, uh, you know, if, if that's what. Uh, yeah, I, it just man, it it just underscores the. The hypocrisy and the selfishness and the self-involvement of so many Republicans mm-hmm. uh, and and Republican voters in in large part uh, here, you know, they didn't care. They don't care about cops. They don't care about you know, you know uh, minority people. They don't care about. And for the most part, they don't really care that much about Trump. 
All right. But what they do care about is themselves and what mm-hmm. they think that what they want. And that's where you, you draw the line back to it and you can draw a straight line from any issue to that right there. OK, whether it be the virus, what, what they want is to not wear a mask and not have to be worried about this anymore. And so that's that's what they're doing. What they want is for Trump to continue to be their president because he told him it was OK to be racist. Uh, what they want. Uh, is to not count those votes to make sure that Trump and so they can roll over police officers and attack police officers and belittle them and talk about how oh what a bunch of uh, whatever word they want to say about these guys because they have the audacity to stand before Congress and say hey this was the worst day of my life and I feared for my life every second mm-hmm. of that day uh, because of the way these people were acting and the vulgar things that they said to me and the way that they were you know literally trying to beat me with flags and flagpoles and stuff mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. it is a straight line from that from that idea, from that that mentality, that selfish mentality of not giving a shit about your fellow man and about the country as a whole. That's what they can. That's what, you know, all the flag waving and everything else, what they actually care about it w- it would be more appropriate is if they just carried around flags with their own faces on. All right. <laughs> and so and, until we can figure out how to bridge that gap, then I, you know, I don't know if we ever can save uh, a lot of those folks, but you know, uh, here we are, man, and it's just—I mean, it's all—it all has all flown out the window with them on this. All right, it—it it has laid bare pretty much everything. All right, it, it laid bare all of their bullshit about cops and about yeah. you know minority people and about everything else and about the rule of law, uh, you know, and about the process and about everything. Mitch McConnell, let's not forget Mitch McConnell said the day after that Trump was to blame for this, all right? He did. That Trump he did. was to blame and then undercut the investigations into what happened. And uh, McCarthy, so, McCarthy yeah. wasn't too far behind him on that. No, either. no, McCarthy's – well, I mean, I don't even count McCarthy. I mean, he's such a sycophant at this point that it, it wouldn't no, even No, but matter. I'm saying he – but he also put the blame on Trump. Yeah. He, he yeah. talked about that openly, you know? So you have, you have two, the two most prominent Republicans in Congress – both of them had opposed Trump until they supported him. Yeah. It's just, you know, and it's all for political, personal political gain yeah. um, is, is what it's all for. Uh, that's all that, that's all that they care about yeah. it is, is their own personal political gain. And it's the same and it works the same. Listen, man, it's the same MO in the virus stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. They know what's right. They see it coming. They know what's going to happen to people. They know people are going to die. They don't give a shit because to not give a shit helps them. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. To push this yeah, other nonsense helps them. And that's all they care about. So, and you know what? That was an excellent segue. I'm uh, very good with segues. Uh, because uh, also, also, uh, also, uh, the the greatest uh, guy pushing something for him um, for himself uh, here, the guy that's all the most self involved guy I've ever met or ever seen in my life, Pastor Greg Locke is our right wing nut of the week. Okay. Um, is I mean, has there ever been a guy less deserving of the? Pastor label than Greg Locke. I, I just he's he's right up there, man. I mean, I've seen some pastors do some real down and dirty mess. You know, I can call some names. Eddie Long, the late Eddie Long, is one, and some others. But this guy, he's he's pushing for the top spot. <laughs> he's uh, he's way out there. He's, yeah. Um, yeah, he's a right wing. He literally is a right wing nut. I mean, this this is everyday mm-hmm. mo is to just be a right wing nut. And this week. Uh, 
Uh, he, of course, is uh, pushing back against uh, COVID, uh, the COVID resurgence and the Delta variant. Uh, told people that the Delta variant isn't real. Don't believe it, he said. Don't you believe it? Is where I believe his exact mm. words. Don't you believe it? Uh, and uh, told people not to worry about it. And then took it a step further and told his congregation that if anybody came into his church wearing a mask, he would ask him to leave. That's kick him out. That's just wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard about this until you told me about it. But when you told me that, I thought, my God, this guy has no conscience. He's he a pastor without a conscience. Uh, people in that church, if I'm not mistaken, people in that church have died from COVID. So that's the guy that you're, uh, that you're following. I, I just, you know what, man? I understand mm. Greg Locke's motivation. What I don't understand are all the people that sit out there every Sunday or whatever day that he preaches on, um, and and follows him. I don't. I don't. That's what I don't understand. Uh, I don't. I can't wrap my head around that. Well, okay. So I'm going to say, how do I say this? <laughs> faith. Faith is a very faith is mystical and also tenuous. And I think there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people who I think honestly are good-hearted people who are looking for guidance in life. And if somebody is charismatic enough and whatnot to present that to them, then they they that's where they kind of you know it's not it's not that radically different Josh than people who follow certain politicians blindly. I mean, yeah. there's a commonality there. Oh sure, you know it's all about cultivating trust. So, I I don't I don't necessarily I think people should be more questioning and critical of all authority and leadership, whether it's religious or political, whatever. But I I feel a certain sympathy for those people who are duped. Yeah. As what I'm going to say, and I feel no sympathy for the ones who are doing the duping. None. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I don't mean to imply that I don't have any sympathy for them. I just I I can't wrap my head around sitting yeah. there week after week in a church and listening to somebody be that awful to other people and and mm -hmm. I that's what I don't I could think about. But, you know, then again I can them sitting in the church so uh but it's uh no it's uh, you know uh, well you know <laughs> i mean myself personally i'm not advocating for anybody you do what you want to do so, right you know, right but i yeah. but i mean and i think again that's the that's the thing you know you you know uh you are uh a critical a thinker what did you say a heathen yes a he well okay you're a heathen but you're a critically thinking heathen yeah. you know yes i'm a believer but i'm a critical thinker Right. You know, um, and unfortunately, I think that's the real issue. It's not really whether or not, pe and I'm talking about now, generally speaking, when it comes to these issues in America, mm -hmm. to me, it's not about whether or not you're a quote, heathen, unquote, or right. a believer, quote, unquote. It's really, are you a critical thinker or not? That's what I think. It yeah, I, I mean, maybe you're right. I still think I'm probably a heathen, too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so. I think you revel in that, actually. Yeah, sometimes. 
Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> uh, all right. But uh, speaking of being critical, somebody is probably going to criticize us for how long we've gone here. But really, the, the it was not our fault. It was uh, Stephen Stetson's fault for sending in a question that we spent so long answering. Yeah, uh, good question, and though. Really, maybe we need to let Stephen program the show. <laughs> just send us the topics and we just roll over that way. Yeah. yeah. So this topic, I listen, man, Stephen, send us more questions for next week so we don't have to do any prep whatsoever. Okay? Uh, all right. That's going to wrap it up. As I said, the greatest show we've ever done. Maybe. You can be the judge of that. Uh, but uh, it, uh, it was a fun one. Appreciate the uh, way, Mary. Uh, and uh, until next week, uh, y'all be safe out there. Peace. <laughs>